This is Hashtag History episode 112. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And welcome to what is my first episode of season 12. Yeah. Does this mean we're officially in our preteen years? Oh my gosh. Time to get braces and start plucking our eyebrows really thin. We hit puberty. Yeah. (laughs) Is that just what I did though? Braces and thin eyebrows? No braces, obviously, for me. Eyebrows? Oh yeah. Like stick thin pencil thin. Pen, pencil thin and what's so embarrassing i did it before i was headed on a uh dead night before yeah why in the dark what? why why <laughs> why in the dark with like a compact mirror going to town on my eyebrows before what? Um, before the first time i went to disneyland when i was like 12 13 years old with a group of other ladies it was like a camp church camp kind of thing and I was thoroughly embarrassed by my eyebrows the entire week. It's just so funny because I don't remember being like, I was never like the stick thin oh. girl, but I was looking back just recently through a lot of photos because I found the login to my photo bucket Love account. This. And I was like, yeah, they were pretty thin. They my- were thin. Yeah. They were thin boys. Thin. Anyway, that's where we're at as a podcast. Right. We're, we're in our <laughs> preteen years. So we got to get on plucking some brows. Yeah. If all goes according to plan, this week's episode is coming out the week after Halloween. And I love that you kicked off the season with last week's episode about OG witchy brewers. Yeah. Because it really sets things off well for spooky season. Spooky season. Spooky season is the best. <laughs> but if you're a spooky witch like me, you like to make spooky season last as long as possible. Absolutely. And I thought we might do that with this week's episode because this week we will be discussing one of history's most fascinating, magical, and sometimes spooky characters. The man that actually died on no other day but Halloween itself. Oh, I didn't know that. Mr. Harry Houdini. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Wow, Harry. Harry Houdini was best known as a magician and escape artist who performed incredible feats such as being restrained and escaping from the belly of a whale. What the f***? Pinocchio. (laughs) Jonah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I go to Pinocchio. (laughs) Jonah. The kid kid that was raised on Disney movies and the kid that was raised in the church, right? Swallowing hundreds of needles and then bringing them back up. Gross. Escaping from a crate that had been weighed down and sunk into the river. My literal nightmare. And, of course, escaping from the infamous Chinese water torture cell. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are just a few of the incredible stunts that Houdini performed that we will be discussing this week. But in addition to discussing the things Houdini was most known for, we will also be diving into his personal life, his upbringing as a hungry native who moved to America at a young age, his endearing relationship with his wife, his likewise endearing relationship with his mom. Oh, no. His efforts to debunk spiritualist mm-hmm. and his mysterious and untimely death. Nice. We have so much to get into this week and I could not be more excited about it. But I'm also really freaking excited about trying out this drink. Yeah. So let's do that. Okay. <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And this is Hashtag History. The podcast for both history nerds and history haters alike. Where we dive into history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. You 
huge shout out to our lady friends and podcast hosts extraordinaire, Caitlin and Sarah over at Luminol Podcast for buying us this week's cocktail. Thank you so much. If you are a true crime fan at all, we highly recommend checking out their podcast on whatever podcast platform you use. They're probably in my personal top three favorite true yeah. crime podcasts. Which is saying a lot because there's six million true crime podcasts out there. Is that an accurate number? Because I, I would believe it. Oh, it okay. I, I didn't know if you had looked that up. Because no, I'm like, that could be an accurate yeah, figure. It could be. <laughs> we met up with them at CrimeCon last year and got to know them a little. And they are amazing and wonderful. Yeah. So thank you again, friends. Thank you so much. That was really generous of you to sponsor the cocktail. And we did really love getting to meet you in person finally at CrimeCon. In my naivete, I assumed that there would be like 300 drinks named after Harry Houdini to choose from. Yeah, they're not. But there's actually not. <gasps> Uh, I would have thought so, too. Yeah. In fact, the only cocktail named Houdini that I could find was on the Cocktail Virgin blog and contained absinthe, which (laughs) I am 100% willing to try, but 0% willing to buy. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Yep. So that left me searching for another option. I'm actually really surprised to hear this. Yeah. So the little I do know about good old Harry going into this episode is that he was a magician, but also liked to debunk spiritualism hoaxes. That's Mm -hmm. like the one thing I know about him. Definitely. Which seems a bit paradoxical, (laughs) to be honest, but intriguing nonetheless. For sure. So my literal ass searched (laughs) for magic cocktails and voila. (laughs) (laughs) Abracadabra, here it is. I found a mocktail, actually, Mm. that can easily be turned into an actual cocktail, should you be so inclined. Okay. So this is called the Magic Apple Mocktail. Mm. Contains two ounces of zero-proof whiskeys, um, two ounces of apple cider or apple juice. We went with cider because we like the fizzies. For sure. Uh, Two dashes (laughs) of bitters. Two two spoonfuls. Yeah, who knows? (laughs) A cinnamon stick and then a slice of apple to garnish. It's gorgeous. It is really pretty. So you're supposed to combine all this uh, into a tall glass or shaker with ice. Stir until drink is cold, then pour over fresh ice. Garnish with a cinnamon stick and apple slice. I'm really excited about it. Yeah. So it felt very fall and wintry, also appropriate for when we're recording this. So obviously down for that. Yes, we are in October in Sacramento, which means I'm wearing shorts, but with a sweater. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's fall season, (laughs) y'all. Uh, because this recipe is a mocktail, I thought it would be fun to learn some quick historical facts about mocktails. Love that. So just a couple. Mm-hmm. According to Advanced Biotech, fancy, while many people attribute the popularization of mocktails to the alcohol-free, sugary Shirley Temple drink of the 1930s, yeah. Marion Webster notes the first known use of the term mocktail as early as 1916. Wow. Yeah. As far back as Jerry Thomas's 1862 cocktail cocktail handbook called the bartender's guide we can find a short section of 15 alcohol-free cocktail recipes entitled temperance drinks how cool is that i love that that is so cool so mocktails have been around for a while and are probably here to stay yeah i would venture to say not only here to stay but maybe a a mocktail revolution (laughs) coming up yeah all right cheersies cheersies I'm sorry. I'm like a tiny bit disappointed, which is shocking because this is all my favorite things like whiskey or, you know, zero proof whiskey, um, apple cider, cinnamon. Yeah. It just uh, maybe I I put too much ice in. It might be my bad. I don't know. No, I think it just it's not as flavorful as I thought it would be. Yeah. Like, I think I'm going to rank it a five. A five. (laughs) (laughs) I think. Um, Okay. I I mean, it's a five point five. Fair. 
it's kind of it might this might be purely my fault mine tastes kind of watered down and behind the scenes news yeah we made the cocktails and then talked for like 45 minutes what so that we, no, we never do that, yeah, so that could have what are you talking about that could have something to do maybe that's not fair of me to rank it so low i'm willing to say i'm gonna get i'm, I'm gonna change my thing i'm gonna give it like a six okay. the more i drink it the more i like it oh good i think my first sip was just like i was expecting more <laughs> out of this uh good 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 yeah but i, I feel better about it now okay so I wanted to start this episode off on a sentimental note. Uh, Many of our listeners won't know this, but my grandma passed away when I was in high school. um, And she and I were very, very close. We were like kindred spirits. We had a lot in common. We both loved to read and to write and to paint. We would literally spend an entire day just watercolor painting together while watching a Meg Ryan movie and sipping on sparkling water and lemon frosted cookies. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I have so many amazing memories with my grandma. And as I was putting together this episode, I didn't realize just how much I already knew about Harry Houdini. And Mm -hmm. what I realized was that it was actually my grandma who taught me so much about Houdini. I have these like very vague memories of her telling me stories about him. And those memories kept creeping up as I was putting together this episode. Wow. Yeah. So that's just a, you know, a sentimental and kind of bittersweet story I wanted to share before we jumped in. Our name for her was Mimi. Mimi. Uh, Her name was Charlotte. Oh, Houdini, who was named Eric Weiss at birth, was born on March 24th, 1874 in Budapest, Hungary, although he would later claim that he was born in Appleton, Wisconsin. In truth, his family did not move to Appleton until 1878 when his dad got a job as a rabbi there. The Weiss parents brought their seven children to the States and changed the German spelling of their last name from Weiss with a Z to Weiss with the double S's and Houdini's first name Eric with a K was changed to Eric with a CH. Houdini's father would lose his job as the rabbi of the Zion Reformed Jewish congregation. And this really would set a precedent for Houdini and his family of a constant struggle through poverty. The family would move to Milwaukee, Wisconsin for a period of time before Houdini moved with his father to New York City, where as a young boy, he took up odd end jobs such as shining shoes and delivering newspapers to help support the family. Once Houdini and his father had finally obtained a permanent place to live, the rest of the family joined them there. And this is just a fun side comment, but I found this really great quote from Houdini in which he said, quote, the greatest escape I ever made was when I left Appleton, Wisconsin. Oh, no. Unquote. Burn. <laughs> burn, Harry. Jeez. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Like, oh, that was better than escaping a literal whale's belly. Yeah, okay, great. That's so funny. <laughs> In 1883, when Houdini was only nine years old, he made his very first stage appearance, performing in a trapeze act as Eric the Prince of the Air. He joined some vaudeville shows as well, but wasn't super successful at that. But he started to develop an interest in magic. And I think it's also really important to note that Houdini had a lot of interest in athletics and was very good at them. He was a swimmer, a boxer, uh, and he was a particularly talented runner. He actually won several medals in competitive track. And the reason I bring this up is because Houdini's athletic abilities, his stamina and his flexibility and his agility... Uh Uh (laughs) All of this is going to become so important as we dive further into his magic and stunt artist career. In fact, I'd like us to pause for a moment to just look at a picture of Houdini and really just admire his physique. And I do want to mention just for some behind the scenes content, I was searching for this picture while in a very busy Starbucks. (laughs) There were were people walking by as I was Googling Houdini's physique. (laughs) 
Hello, um, Harry. Yeah. So if after you finish wiping the drool, could you describe what you're seeing? Yeah. It's Harry in literally a spandex speedo. Yeah. I mean, it's bedazzled. probably bedazzled speedo um, tied up in chains. Yeah. Uh, various places around his body yeah. uh, with some nice uh, muscles. Yeah. Yeah. The main thing to know is. Look and at, this is just look at that thigh. Yes. And this is just one of the pictures I found. I mean, you can if you search like Houdini's physique, you will see like muscle upon muscle upon muscle. So I mean, he 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 works out. Yeah, he worked he worked out. <laughs> As Houdini made his pivot into magic, he officially adopted the name of Harry Houdini. It's assumed that the name Harry was just an extension of his nickname, which was Airy, short for Eric. Mm. And Houdini was adopted as an homage to the father of modern magic, French magician Eugene Robert Houdin, which is funny because Houdini actually later wrote a book titled The Unmasking of Robert Houdin, in which he basically did just that. He unmasked Houdin's techniques and essentially exposed him for stealing other magicians' ideas. I also find it ironic that like he named himself as an homage to mm. a quote unquote like famous yeah. magician when he became like the most well known magician of all time. So, so his name is an homage, even though he, you know he what I mean? He took on the name yeah. and he's who we know. We don't know about don't, Eugene who Robert Houdin. Eugene. Right. Like, I don't know. I, I, and I think, you know, him taking on that name too, as the story goes, Houdini did initially admire and look up to Houdin in his youth, which is why he adopted the name. Obviously, yeah. Obviously. But over time, as he built up his own technique and, you know, his own innovations, he discovered that his idol was not all that he was cracked up to be mm. i mean what's that phrase don't meet your idols yeah i guess you also shouldn't study them either <laughs> yeah jeez yeah don't meet your heroes don't meet them or study them or read about them at all yeah harry houdini's father would pass away in 1892 when houdini was 18 and this is when houdini officially launched his career as a magician he initially started out as the quote-unquote king of cards and performed sleight of hand card tricks but he wasn't particularly successful at this though and i think in hindsight knowing what houdini would one day become great at and you know known for i think it can make sense that his skills didn't necessarily translate well with like small sleight of hand demonstrations totally and so he pivots again he started working in 1894 alongside his brother in a group that they formed called the brothers houdini they worked their way through the circuits of small stages and theaters throughout Coney Island and the Midwest doing more simple magic tricks, still doing like some card tricks and, and still not achieving much success. But it's roughly around this time that Houdini met another performer from a fellow act, the Floral Sisters. It was a woman named Wilhelmina Beatrice Bess Rahner. <sighs> All you need to know is her nickname is Bess. <laughs> and that's we're going to refer to her as Bess throughout the rest of this episode. He met her when she started dating his brother, but shortly thereafter, she started dating Houdini. <laughs> and within two or three weeks of dating, depending upon which source you read, Houdini and Bess were married on June 22nd, 1894. What may sound like a rushed and, you know, possibly impulsive decision uh -huh. <laughs> turned into, you know, from what I've read, a pretty romantic, affectionate marriage. Houdini and Bess were deeply in love with each other. In fact, I read this really beautiful story about how over the course of their three decades long marriage, he would write her hundreds upon hundreds of love letters that he would leave around their house, sometimes even writing these letters while they were both sitting in the same room. Okay. To me, this is the equivalent of my husband and I both sitting on the couch and he texts me at me 
meme. Totally. And then we both look at each other and we smile and then return to our respective phones. Absolutely. That's true. <laughs> A modern true day love. romance. True love. <laughs> I have my own Houdini romance. Memes. That was my version of it. Yeah. A modern day romance. Yeah. But really, Houdini and Bess were like super sweet. He had a bunch of cute nicknames for her, such as Sweetie Wifey Mine, My Darling One and Only, Adorable Sunshine of My Life. Just rolls off the tongue. And more. Yeah. yeah. Really, the last one especially. For sure. Again, modern day romance, if you were to put that in as their like contact in your phone, mm-hmm. it would get cut off at Adorable <laughs> Adorable Sun. Shh. I thought it was cute that still to this day, I'm in Nico's phone. I'm Leah Smiley Face. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And that's how we put it in. Like, the day. Oh. Yeah. When we like, when he very first got your number. Yeah. That's very sweet. It was probably to to be able to differentiate me from, from the all other the other Leas. Leas. Yeah. 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 The other Leas that had like, there's like a Leah with a rain cloud next to it. Right. It like, <laughs> an X. One with an X. <laughs> Do not answer yeah. when this Leah calls. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. mine was a smiley face so that's great yeah i love that that is really that's sweet <laughs> the two of them houdini and bess they would never have children it's actually reported that bess had a condition in which she never got her period and was therefore unable to have kids houdini's brother was kicked to the curb as houdini pivoted once again and started up an act along with bess in which they performed as the houdinis with houdini as the magician and bess as his assistant One particular trick that they did together as a couple was called metamorphosis. With this trick, Houdini would be placed inside of a box while his hands were fastened behind his back. No, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Nightmare. Thank you. (laughs) Once inside the box, the box would be closed with a knot. This box would then be placed inside yet another contraption, a a cabinet. Bess would then close the curtain around the whole contraption, disappearing from the audience's view by stepping behind the curtain herself, and then she would clap her hands three times. So they heard her clapping. Yes. Yes. Houdini would then pull back the curtains, totally free of his binds, and would open up the cabinet and the box in front of the audience to find Bess inside with her hands tied behind her back in the same manner that Houdini had been tied. Without going into all the details about how this trick was performed, I think it's just so fascinating to know some of the steps. Like, from what I've read about how this trick was performed, Houdini would already be outside of the box, outside of the cabinet, before Bess had even clapped. Mm -hmm. And in fact, although the audience was led to believe it was Bess that was clapping, it would actually be Houdini that was doing the clapping as Bess was trading places with him and sliding herself into the box. Interesting. This trick was a big deal and really put the Houdini's on the board. In fact, it was what earned... Houdini one of his first big circus tours in 1895. Hey friends, it's me, Sharon McMahon, host of Here's Where It Gets Interesting. And we've been working hard on a new documentary series called Resilience that explores the incarceration of Japanese Americans in the United States during World War II. So join me as I talk with experts and share firsthand accounts that detail the resilience shown by 120,000 Japanese Americans who endured wartime imprisonment right here in America. And on October 24th, we'll conclude our series with a special episode. Actor George Takei sits down with me to talk about his family's experience behind the barbed wire fences of an incarceration camp. Don't miss it because here's where it gets interesting. Houdini continued to develop his craft of escapism. He began doing handcuff escape tricks, and by 1899, a manager who was particularly impressed with him, Martin Beck, was able to book him at vaudeville locations throughout the States and also booked him a tour across Europe. 
He initially wasn't very successful in Europe. That was until his agent booked him a meeting with William Melville, the first chief of the British Secret Service Bureau. Fancy. Yes. Now, during this meeting, Houdini showed Melville how he was able to escape handcuffs at Scotland Yard, of all places. After this, Europe was sold and Houdini's success took off overseas. Hmm. In fact, many of Houdini's early acts would include the involvement of law enforcement, who would bring forth their trickiest sets of handcuffs or their most secure jail cells, and Houdini was always able to escape from them huh there were even wardens that would award houdini with certificates for breaking out of their handcuffs and facilities one of houdini's most infamous prison escapes occurred in 1906 when he escaped from the same jail cell that had once confined charles gateau the man that assassinated president james a garfield he was handcuffed by the secret service and locked in the cell where he was able to successfully escape in just 18 minutes it's wild. I get like the whole stage thing. It's like it's all tricks and yeah. and stuff, but it's the actually like getting out of prison or yeah. you know like a prison cell. That's yeah. crazy. I agree with you. There's there's a level of showmanship here and there's a level of obviously talent. Yeah. And and knowledge and expertise. Wow. By 1900, Houdini was making a weekly salary of roughly $300, which is the equivalent of almost 10,000 a week today. Okay. Harry, you're looking even better. <laughs> if that physique didn't do it, yeah. that wallet did. That wallet did. <laughs> this made him the highest paid vaudeville performer in the States. Yeah. This is when Houdini really hit his big break. And I think it's always important to reflect on the rising grind. And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of the time when we see these big celebrities or these big authors or whatnot, what we don't see are the 15 movies that they made that were total flops before their big blockbuster. Yeah. Or the 10 novels that no one ever read before that one that made it to the bestsellers list. Yeah. And so it's important to look at Houdini in the same way. He really struggled in his attempts to make it in this particular entertainment industry. He spoke many times about quitting and he and Bess even stayed with his mom for a period of time early on in his career while he was taking a break from the hustle and grind. Yeah. But finally, by 1900, he had hit his stride. Now, instead of continuing with this chronological look at his life, I want to now just highlight a few of his more notable groundbreaking stunts, many of which I'm sure you've heard of before, um, but they're still going to blow your mind. Mm. And the great thing about Houdini being alive in the time period that he was means that we have photographic and videographic evidence of a lot of this that we can check out yes yes so again these aren't necessarily in chronological order of when they were performed this is just a collection of some of his most infamous and most mind-blowing stunts i'm so excited oh i'm so excited for us to talk about these <laughs> okay so to start off with i'm going to talk about his east indian needle trick is mm -hmm. what it was called can you check out the picture and describe it uh, so first off, ew. <laughs> Secondly, what do you see? I don't know what I'm looking at. Okay. he's It's like a string of needles. Yes. That's coming out of his mouth. Mouth. Sorry. Yeah, I guess this isn't a great picture. When I say we have like photographic... There's still 1800, you know, <laughs> there's still 90s photos. Yeah, they're still not great quality. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. So what you're seeing here okay this is an image of houdini pulling like a string <gasps> oh, he swallowed it so this is the crazy thing yes what you see in the picture is him pulling like a string with needles out of his mouth yes. after he had already swallowed them okay that's what you see in this picture you see the needles are like strung on the string in you know a, a consecutive order yes how this trick was performed, though, is Houdini would actually swallow 100 individual needles 
followed by 20 yards of thread. He would then show his audience's mouth, you know, show them that it was empty. And then and it then, would come out on the thread? Yes. What the f***, Harry? He would proceed to pull from his mouth this yarn that was now strung with lines of needles. Weird, right? I don't get it. Crazy. Yeah. Okay, so the next one that we've already kind of mentioned a couple times, uh, it, it's the escape from the belly of a whale. And there's no picture to share this Dang one. Dang it, this is yeah. the one I want to see the most. I know, I'm really sorry about that. It's okay. <laughs> but in 1911, Houdini was dared to escape from the belly of a whale while restrained with both leg irons and handcuffs. So again, this is not like Jonah and the whale from the Bible. This was not a live whale that was swimming around in the ocean when Houdini got swallowed up by it. Also not like Pinocchio. Right. Uh, no, the truth is even more gross. This was a beached whale that was sewn up as Houdini wrestled to get out of it. And believe it or not, but only 15 minutes later, Houdini did indeed escape. An interesting side note about this case is that Houdini actually almost died as a result of suffocation. The chemicals used to embalm the whale nearly killed him. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so another one of Houdini's early tricks, this is early in his career when he was still doing a lot of handcuff escapes, the Daily Mirror, uh, it was a London newspaper, challenged him to escape from a set of handcuffs that locksmith Nathaniel Hart had spent five years making. He called these like the unbreakable locks. Okay. Thousands of people turned out to watch Houdini break free from these cuffs. It took him more than an hour to finally escape, and there appeared to be a number of complications along the way. While Houdini would perform the feat behind a curtain, he would actually come around from it several times just to kind of like talk to the audience, to ask for a glass of water, to get a kiss from his wife. There was even one time where he asked, you know, like, I'm really hot. Can you take off the cuffs so that I can take off my jacket? Mm -hmm. To which they, of course, refused. They're like, no, we're not going to unlock these cuffs in front of you so you can see how they can, you know, be unlocked. Yeah. Uh, so what he did instead, he had a knife on his person and he took the knife out and cut off his own jacket while he's cuffed up. Uh -huh. So again, you know, I kind of mentioned this already, but allegedly his wife came up on stage at one point, gave him a kiss. This has not been officially confirmed nor denied. Uh -huh. When Houdini did finally escape, reports state that he sobbed and said that that was the most difficult escape he had ever performed. Well, and I would imagine, too, like an hour to escape handcuffs to him probably felt like embarrassing. Mm, I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, to the public and stuff, it's still amazing. Crazy right? impressive. But to him, like that was hard and definitely like the worst he'd ever done definitely essentially definitely because you know as we're talking through all of these stunts many of them he accomplished in under 20 minutes mm -hmm. um yeah i i totally see that <laughs> i'm just imagining i've been i've said this a lot in our recent episodes mm -hmm. like with guest speakers and stuff it's like there was no netflix at, around I, this time i'm like what how boring were people's lives that they went out and stood and watched a guy try to escape handcuffs for an hour i'd rather watch paint dry and, and not only not <laughs> only watch a guy escape handcuffs for an hour watch a curtain right for an hour no, yeah like he wasn't with even a guy there. behind it yeah he wasn't even like visible right no Netflix, as no you Netflix. always say. There was no Netflix. Oh my gosh. Jeez. <laughs> anyway, so going back to this handcuff escape uh, that Houdini did, 
in the years since then, there's been a lot of speculation about the authenticity of this challenge. There's rumors that his wife slipped him the key when she gave him that kiss, but the key was six inches in length and would have been difficult to conceal. Yeah. There are also rumors that Houdini and the Daily Mirror were in on it together, and his taking so long to complete the task was all just showmanship. The world may never know. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> Magicians, are they're... They're showmen. They're illusionists. They're showmen, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like it's all, it's all illusions and stuff. And so I, I don't think people. Maybe at this time people went thinking it was truly magic. Yeah. I don't know. But like nowadays, people don't go to a magic show because they think it's real. Like right. you go for the show, and and so if the Daily Mirror was in on it, I'm just kind of like, okay, yeah. like, I feel the same way. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> none of it is um legit you know what i'm right. saying like uh, authentic it's yeah. all tricks it's and all tricks and illusions, illusions. Mm-hmm. yeah illusions michael illusions golden <laughs> 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 okay so now onto a more infamous one that we do have a picture of can you describe what you're seeing oh he looks eh. so small yeah no, he wasn't like as cute as he yeah. was in the early years yeah. um he is in a giant milk can yeah um and there's like three police officers standing around him Mm -hmm. holding the top of the jug yeah open for him it doesn't look like a human body should fit in there but it does right it does right he was fairly short short he was a short king yeah he was a short king (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah so i mean essentially what it looks like is what it was uh houdini would get inside of this milk can that would be filled with liquid generally water or milk Sometimes when performing this trick at a brewery, it would actually be filled with beer. Nice. Yeah. And then the lid would be closed and locked. There would then be a curtain pulled around the can, and only minutes later, Houdini would make his escape. I'm sensing a pattern here. Yeah. He didn't want people to see how he was getting of out of these not. things. Of yeah. Of course not. This particular trick became so popular that many other magicians and escape artists started performing it as well. To one-up them, Houdini eventually evolved the act to add another layer of difficulty not only would he get locked inside the milk can he would also put the locked milk can inside of a locked wooden box all right okay so this next trick i wanted to mention it because although it's not one of the crazy escape tricks that houdini did it's still one of his most infamous Mm -hmm. houdini introduced this elephant vanishing trick toward the latter half of his career and what he would do, he would bring out a large cabinet uh, in front of you know his audience that he would then walk a 10,000-pound elephant into. Mm. The cabinet doors would then be closed and a curtain would be pulled around it. Twelve men would come out. They would turn this cabinet, you know, just kind of rotate it in a circular motion. This is something that would take a handful of minutes to do. Houdini would then open up the curtain, open up the cabinet, and Jenny the elephant would be gone. Jenny, where'd you go? Jenny, sh- Jenny's gone. <laughs> She gone. <laughs> she, she gone. We have another picture here to check out. And this one, this is a trick that he did. It was called the suspended straight jacket trick. Yeah. This is another one that I'm familiar with. Uh-huh. So he's like hanging from a crane with mm-hmm. his feet connected to the, the crane and mm-hmm. he's hanging with his head like hanging down. Yeah. Right? So he's upside down and he is in a straight jacket. He's tied up with a rope to the top of the crane. So he's yeah. hanging who knows how high in the air. Yeah. Um scary definitely 
So this is one of his most infamous escapes, and he would perform these fully in view of a giant audience, so kind of so contrary unlike to... the curtain. Yeah, yeah, unlike the curtain that he would pull around the majority of his other tricks. Yeah. He performed this act for the first time on September 8th, 1915, and this act actually started as a competition between brothers. So remember how... You know, earlier on in the episode, I mentioned that Houdini's brother would do these magic shows with him. Yeah. This brother had continued along on a similar professional trajectory as Houdini and also performed escapes from straight jackets. Not as successful. No, because we don't know him at all. What's his name? <laughs> he took on the name Hardeen. Mm, yeah. Okay. Don't know you, Hard- Never Hardy. <laughs> when Houdini learned that his brother was escaping from straight jackets in full view of the audience, as opposed to you know, behind a drawn curtain, he decided to up the ante. Mm-hmm. Not only would Houdini escape from a straitjacket in full view of the audience, he would also do it while hanging upside down from a crane some 20 feet in the air. His ankles would be tied up and a handful of men would then attach him by his feet to a crane where he would hang above a crowd and work his way out of a straitjacket in a matter of minutes. Again, very impressive, but again, no Netflix. Like, no, yeah, no Netflix. That people are just crowding and thousands of people in the they're streets. Like, they're watching a dude hang above them for twenty minutes. Yeah, wiggle, <laughs> literally, just wiggle, wiggle, and they're like, <gasps> 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 oh my, <sighs> and then they just carry on with their day. That's and then they go. And that get was some that was their twenty minutes of Netflix for yeah. the day. Yeah, twenty minutes of scrolling on TikTok accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> There are truly so, so many more, and we could be here forever just talking about all his stunts. But I'm going to wrap things up by talking about likely his most infamous escape and the one that Biography.com coins as what would be, quote, the hallmark of his career, unquote. Hmm. Okay, so let's go ahead and check out this picture here and feel free to describe the horrendous thing that we're looking at. Well, not horrendous. If you know I know. <laughs> Some beefy muscle, I'm saying. But um, yeah, so he is upside down mm-hmm. in a box, uh, a, yeah. a clear glass box yeah. with water. Mm-hmm. His feet are like actually outside of the top of the box. And then he's the rest of his body is hung inside the box. Yeah. Filled with water. Yeah. Um, I'm just wearing some underwear, some tidy whities. Just wearing underwear. And again, we can definitely see the muscle that's at play here. Yeah. So in 1912, Houdini performed his infamous Chinese water torture cell escape trick for the first time. And I mean, it's exactly what you just said. It's a cell that had a steel frame and glass paneling mm-hmm. that would be filled with water. Yep. This contraption was one of Houdini's own designs. He would actually patent it. Houdini would bring out this Chinese water torture cell onto the stage and he would allow for his audience to decide where on the stage the cell should be set up. He did this so that no one could ever allege that he used a trap door beneath it to get out. Houdini would lay on the ground on his back where his feet would be secured to a device that would essentially, you know, it would make up the lid of the cell. He would then be lifted up into the air and would then be lowered into the tank, his head going in first. Oh, God, it's my worst nightmare. Literal worst nightmare. (laughs) Like, and filled with water. I mean, and that's something else to consider. We haven't really talked about that. The fact that even with the illusion stuff, there is still a period of time in which he has had to hold his breath while restrained with cuffs or a straitjacket with his feet locked into a contraption inside of a locked cabinet. It, you know, there's so many yeah. elements to it. The biggest one to me holding is having breath. to hold your breath that whole even time. Even for like uh, even 20 seconds of holding your breath oh. underwater, I'm like, that's too much. Can't do it. Far too much. Yeah. This lid would be locked and then a curtain would be pulled across the cell. And within two minutes... 
Houdini would pull back the curtains, having escaped from the cell despite the lid still being locked. We really, again, could talk forever about all of the incredible tricks and illusions and escapes that Houdini performed. Something to always keep in mind, though, is that although we're talking about these amazing feats, not all of them were a success. From time to time, mistakes were made and emergencies ensued. For example, one time when he was locked inside the milk can that had been filled with beer, the fumes from the beer caused him to pass out. Mm-hmm. Another time when he was attempting to escape from a buried coffin, he had to fight just to get his hand above ground to flag down help. When he was removed from the ground, he was found unconscious. Oh my gosh. And finally, once when being lowered into this Chinese water torture cell device that we were just looking at, the piece that held his feet malfunctioned and actually fractured his ankle. Oh yeah. In 1913, Houdini experienced one of, if not the most, difficult hardship of his life, the death of his mother. One of the greatest loves of his life was his mom. Houdini had always been exceptionally close to her, like exceptionally close. You keep saying this. Apparently, when he was a baby and would cry, she would be able to instantly soothe him by placing his head on her chest where he could hear her heartbeat. Uh-huh. There are stories that he would continue to do this into his adulthood. Uh Further, there were stories that when he was upset as an adult, he would sit on his mother's lap. Uh Like they were so close that he refused to wear clothing that she had not picked out and approved of into his adult years. No, Harry, that just lost it for me. I know there's this picture of Harry Houdini uh, with his wife and his mom. And I mean, it's like interchangeable, which one's which because they're it's like his arms are wrapped around both of them. Yeah. I mean, obviously, one is older than the other, but yeah, either one could be his wife. (laughs) Totally. So in 1913, his mother suffered a fatal stroke. When Houdini received the news via telegram, he actually fainted. He later wrote of the experience of receiving news of his mother's passing, quote, I who have laughed at the terrors of death, who have smilingly leaped from high bridges, received a shock from which I do not think recovery is possible, unquote. Hmm. Even after time had gone by after she had passed, he wrote in letters, quote, Dash, it's tough, and I can't seem to get over it. Sometimes I feel all right, but when a calm moment arrives, I'm as bad as ever, mm-hmm. unquote. It's really sad. Yeah. Now, outside of his love for magic and escape stunts and his mother, uh-huh. Houdini had several other loves and passions. One of the big ones was flying. In fact, he nearly set the record for being the first person to fly over Australia in 1910. Oh, wow. Fascinating, right? Yeah. He was also an avid writer and wrote several novels, including the one that he wrote debunking French magician Eugene Robert Houdin, as well as Miracle Mongers and Their Methods and A Magician Among the Spirits. Nice. Houdini also had a small acting career and starred in a handful of movies. Apparently, his acting wasn't very good, though. And when he started up his own production company, it ended in failure. That's really funny, too, because like back then they were like, they weren't talkies that you just had to like move your eyebrows up and down and that was it. And he's obviously a good showman. Or it just doesn't translate well yeah, to a, to that's, a that's viewing very audience. Interesting. Mm-hmm. But one of his largest passions was debunking spiritualism. Mm-hmm. Following World War One, many Americans were in a place of grief and despair, desperate to reconnect with lost loved ones. The United States saw a huge wave of spiritualism and attempts at connecting with those beyond the grave. 
as an experienced magician, one that had his own history of pretending to possess supernatural connections, Houdini made it his mission to catch mediums and spiritualists in the act of pretending as though they had conjured up supernatural spirits. He would oftentimes attend seances in disguise and catch so-called mediums as they deceived their vulnerable customers. Yeah, and I know I joked that like this was seems a little counterintuitive, but... <sighs> Again, the difference being someone pays to go to a magic show, whereas like in a lot of the times in these spiritualist settings and stuff, people were paying the spiritualist, the person conducting the seance, mm -hmm. like sometimes massive amounts of money. I don't yeah. know. No, no, I, I think the big difference is you go to watch Houdini escape from the Chinese water torture cell yeah. for entertainment. Right. You go to a medium to connect with your mom that passed was your away. best yeah. friend and passed away. Like, so you're in a vulnerable position. Totally. And it's unfair if someone is taking advantage of that position. Yeah. And some of the things that they did were cruel, horrible, cruel, absolutely cruel. Yeah. The largest of Houdini's exposés was that of Minnie Marjorie Crandon, a very famous medium. And when I say he exposed her, I mean, he exposed her. Oh. He, he wrote and published a 40-page article about it titled, Houdini Exposes the Tricks Used by the Boston Medium Marjorie. Flat out. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you don't even need to read the article. No. <laughs> we know from the title alone what yep. happened. Yep. This was a really big deal at the time. No one else had been able to catch Crandon slipping up because she was just that good. But Houdini was better. Mm-hmm. Houdini's determination to expose mediums definitely created some enemies. He had once been good friends with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Sherlock Holmes, mm -hmm. but a rift existed between them as Doyle was a huge proponent of spiritualism. Which is surprising. Uh, sure, I don't know. Like Sherlock it, Holmes is all about like debunking things and yeah. the Hound of the Baskervilles, it's all like it's all think, fake. I think, yes. For Doyle, what I read a lot is that gray area where science can't explain everything right like we live in a world where science can s do so much and explain so much but there's there are things that are unexplainable at times right yeah and so i he filled in that gap with spiritualism <sighs> also i think a huge piece of it was that his wife was a medium well yeah <laughs> there's the other piece oh yeah <laughs> things officially went downhill when doyle's wife insisted on performing a seance to reconnect houdini with his mother after she had passed. And of course, you'll remember that he was super close with her. Yeah. Doyle's wife claimed to be receiving writings from Houdini's mom, but these writings were all in English. Mm. Too bad Houdini's mother never read nor wrote in English in her entire life. When Houdini exposed Doyle's wife as a fraud, that cemented the end of their friendship. In fact, they would continue over the years to write nasty things about one another in the newspapers. <laughs> Jeez. Houdini was so committed to the cause of debunking mediums that he joined the Scientific American Committee, a committee designed to debunk spiritualism, and via this committee offered a $2,500 prize to anyone that could prove that they could truly connect with the dead. To no one's surprise, no one ever won this prize. Yeah. Houdini even spoke in front of the U.S. House of Representatives in support of a bill that would ban fortune tellers from making profits off telling fortunes in Washington, D.C. Wow. What's funny is that despite his adamant stance that spiritualism wasn't real, Houdini and his wife actually made an agreement that whichever one of them died first, the other would attempt to communicate to the other with a secret message. This secret message was Rosabelle Believe, which was a favorite song of theirs. Yeah. And Bess followed through on their promise for a decade after Houdini's death. 
she would hold a seance on the anniversary of his death and wait for him to repeat their secret message back to her, but he never did. After 10 years of trying, she was quoted as saying, quote, 10 years is long enough to wait for any man, unquote. Girl. Mm. Uh. Mm. <laughs> We've been saying that, but not about this. <laughs> More like when you're waiting on a ring or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but I, I, there's a part of me that gets it. His life was dedicated, I mean, towards the end yeah to like debunking this so he's like i want to continue to do that sure. in that we know the secret code yeah. and if i if i die if yeah. i you know continue yeah. to debunk definitely definitely yeah. it, it furthers his his efforts yeah so i guess that naturally leads us now to discussing houdini's death and houdini's death is an interesting one okay we've looked at pictures of him he was a beefy guy beefy beefy and his physical strength was something that he took a lot of pride in. In fact, he used to brag that he could withstand any punch to the stomach because he could flex his abdomen so tightly that it would protect those internal organs. I've heard dudes say that too, bros. Yeah, bros, bros. Bros. Gym, gym bros. Yeah. On October 22nd, 1926, while in his dressing room at the Princess Theater in Montreal, a few students from McGill University came to see Houdini. One of the students, Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead, asked Houdini if it was true that he could take a punch to the stomach. As the story goes, Houdini kind of vaguely agreed. It sounds like he didn't really get out a full response to the question. Yeah. Before the student began punching Houdini in the stomach. Oh, no. Now, I'm going to throw us back a little ways in the episode. Do you recall when I was talking about how not all of Houdini's stunts were flawless and how there were sometimes mistakes made? Totally. One specific example I gave was about how the contraption that held his feet in the lid of the Chinese water torture cell had malfunction and it left him with a fractured ankle and so he couldn't exercise and so he got yeah. he got beefy in a different way <laughs> from ground beef <laughs> Gr ground beefy he got ground beefy <laughs> that's the funniest thing i ever heard he got ground beefy yep <laughs> that was good um not exactly but <laughs> this incident with the ankle yeah this had actually only occurred a week before this dressing room incident that we're talking about okay so as the story goes houdini was actually laying down and resting his ankle and was therefore not in the position nor fully prepared to brace himself to take multiple punches to the gut yeah it was so bad that two punches in houdini had to stop whitehead from continuing well yeah. I know. It's funny when I read the accounts, people are like, can you believe he had to stop him after two? I'm like, after what? half of one? Yeah. <laughs> after a quarter of one, I'd be like, my God, please. <laughs> please. <laughs> but for most people, they were like, wow, Houdini had to stop him after two. That's a really big deal. Yeah. Houdini's next show was in Detroit, Michigan. And by the time he got to the Garrick Theater there, he had a fever of over 104 degrees Fahrenheit. That's not good. No. His doctor and his wife begged him to cancel the show. But he continued on. Even after the show, when his fever had not subsided and the stomach pain was even worse, he still refused medical attention. Mm -hmm. His wife ended up ignoring his orders and had him taken to the hospital. There, on October 24th, he underwent emergency surgery to remove his appendix, which doctors found had ruptured, yeah. spreading infection across his body. Yeah. He underwent a secondary operation a few days later, but at this point... Houdini's body was overtaken by sepsis. Mm -hmm. He would die on Halloween 1926 at the young age of 52. According to witnesses, his last words were, quote, I'm tired of fighting, unquote. His death is so interesting because 
told in the way that I have just told the story, it could easily be assumed that Whitehead caused Houdini's appendix to rupture. Yes. Right? That's what I assumed. Yes, definitely. But more recent medical professionals and historians have argued that Houdini may have been dealing with appendicitis even before the stomach punching incident. And that just aggravated it. It aggravated it. And in addition to that, he may have ignored the appendix pain, chalking it up to pain from the punches. Yeah. So it's possible that had Whitehead not punched Houdini, he would have recognized the symptoms of appendicitis and sought medical attention before it was too late. Yeah. So I guess in that way, Whitehead still caused his death, <laughs> but at least not directly. Yeah. Houdini was buried in a Jewish cemetery in Queens. When Bess died in 1943, she asked to be buried near Houdini, but her family, being Catholic, refused to have her buried in a Jewish cemetery and instead had her buried approximately 35 miles away from her husband in a Catholic cemetery. I have things to say. Please. I hate that. Respect the wishes of whatever. I mean, obviously, if they're asking for like a million dollar, you know, like funeral, maybe scale it down a little bit. (laughs) But I'm just saying like the basic things. Respect the wishes of the dead, please. Uh, Yes, that's what I'm saying. Especially of the dead. Like you want the eternity of time. You want to be laid beside your husband. How dare you take that away from someone? Yeah. That's horrible. I, I... I don't even have words for that. Yeah. Like if someone did that to you, me. You seem angry. It, it does. Because can you imagine that? Yeah. Like in the afterlife or, or in, in in death, I want to be laid next to my husband. I cannot even imagine if, yeah. someone was, if my family was like, nah, we're not going to do that. Yeah. That's crazy. Houdini's brother inherited many of his props and continued to perform magic for several years after Houdini's death. What is left of Houdini's artifacts have either been sold off at auctions are on display at the Houdini Museum in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Sorry. Or are unfortunately lost to history. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Hashtag History. We will share the pictures that we discussed in this episode to our Instagram and all sources used to put together the episode can be found on our website at hashtaghistory-pod.com. Be sure to check us out on social media. You can find us on Instagram at hashtag history underscore podcast and on TikTok at hashtag history, all one word. Also, while you're already on your phones, go ahead and head over to whatever podcast platform it is that you use, share about us with your family and friends, and then give us a rate and review. And come join us over on Patreon, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support our books and booze supply, get access to some behind-the-scenes content, weekly hashtag hangout episodes, and automatic 15% off all merchandise. And on top of all of that, we also mail you cards and stickers. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I definitely feel this a little. Do you? Three, two, one. Clap. Clap. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. I know. Stop. 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 Stop, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'll let you say that whole line. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if I said Wisconsin correctly. 
Wisconsin. Wisconsin. You, you Wisconsin. choked on it a little okay. bit. There's multiple sound bites. Wisconsin. <laughs> Wisconsin. For you to use now. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> you can just help me like, he was Wisconsin. born in Appleton, Wisconsin, 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 Wisconsin. <laughs> When you when you edit this like two three weeks from now, hopefully you don't remember what that's about. Yeah, no, I will. <laughs> oh no no no, I will. Oh no no no. Yeah, but a riff exists. Riff rift. rift. A rift. Yeah, a rift exists. A riff. I'm like, what the? F-? It's a musical. Yeah. <laughs> a riff. <laughs> 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 <laughs>